All right. Hey, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. Man, I love worshiping with you guys. Uh, sitting up here on the front row, it's, it's cool because I get to hear all the voices coming from behind me. And uh, I'm not saying that's always a great sound, but <laughs> I am saying that it's encouraging um, to be a part of the family of God. Uh, it's encouraging to know that we have people that are going at the same things that we're trying to go at and worshiping God. And, and uh, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful to have you as my family. This has, been, this has been a great week, man. It's been like a week full of kids. That's what it's been. And uh, how many of you guys know we have to reach the next generation? Amen. Uh, we got to do that. And so uh, kind of all really started even last week and with the big screen that we did in the service. And that was a lot of fun. And I know that's different for some of y'all, like, man, I don't know about all the movie clips and all that, but hopefully you got something out of that. It was a funny story that happened during one of the services. This Pastor Bernie, he was up here on the stage uh, behind all the kids, mainly for my children because he knows they can get out of control. And so, uh, but <laughs> during one of the movie clips, one of the little girls comes walking up to him and she's got like blood coming off of her lip. And he's like, what happened? He's like, she's like, I pulled my tooth out. I pulled my tooth right out. And he's like, oh my goodness. So, <laughs> I think he just sent her back to sit down actually. But man, we raise them tough around here in Cabot. Come on now, come on. Oh, I thought it was so funny. But VBS, man, uh, that happened on Monday through Thursday. And it was awesome. Uh, first of all, I just want to thank all the leaders and volunteers. In fact, if you led or volunteered for anything during VBS, would you put your hand up right now? Just give these folks a hand. They did an incredible job. Whoa. We actually had 193 volunteers uh, during VBS. And I don't know how it was in your church growing up, but when we would do something to get volunteers out for, it was tough, man. And we just have good people around here that stepped up. But we had 380 kids throughout the week um, in here. Uh, and we actually, the kids every night, they would, they would take up an offering and they would do it like different denominations of coins each night. And so they, they start with nickels, I think, and then dimes and then quarters. And the last night they brought paper money, but they were raising money to help build a children's church for a church in China. And so they were actually, this is just coins and stuff. They raised $710. Our kids raised $710 by stealing coins out of y'all's purses. So thank y'all for that. Oh, thank you. Uh, but the big, the big, the, the, obviously the big picture, the most important thing that we need to praise God for is we had 10 kids give their lives to Jesus during the week. Man. And, uh, and that, that was an incredible week with, with that. And then we actually had serve day yesterday and I'll let Jared tell you more about that. But man, it was a powerful day hanging out with kids and uh, in a nursing home and just serving our fire departments around here. It was cool. Uh, we're in this Did You Know series. And, and this morning, I guess it's, it's kind of talking about the subject of, did you know that there are eternal realities? There are eternal realities. And I'm going to start kind of a two-part sermon uh, talking about eternity, what that looks like. And I'm starting it this week. Now, next week, Pastor Harry Bates is going to be in the house. 
And, uh, and so I encourage you guys, make sure you're here for that. And then we're kind of, we're swapping out. He's going to be here from GLR. I'm going to be heading down there uh, for that weekend. But I'm going to be back the next week and I'm going to finish out this, this sermon on eternity, what it looks like. What will happen when I die? What will happen when I die? I heard one person say, man, when I die, I want to go peacefully asleep like my grandfather did. Not like the rest of the people panicking and screaming that were riding in the car with him. <laughs> not, not like that. I don't, I don't know exactly what your perspective is on the subject, um, but it is important that you have a clear picture according to the word of God. And I don't want to say up front, this could be a little bit of, of a heavy sermon. And that's difficult for me. I will say there were times in my life where I like to get real preachy. Um, almost a little bit kind of fire and brimstone feeling. And some of y'all know exactly what that's like. And some of y'all know exactly what that feels like. And some of you would say, man, I like that. Come on. And I would tell you to chill out. And some of y'all would say, I don't like that at all. I'd also tell you to chill out, you know. But there's a balance. We have to talk about these things. What happens after I die? Like the second after you die, what happens? The Bible tells us that the things that you see right now are temporary. Everything that is around you, everything that is material or physical, it's not going to last. Uh, your body is not going to last. And everybody over 35 said amen because we know exactly what that's like. The mountains, the trees, everything erodes. Everything will pass away. Everything that is material fades away. But the things that are going to last forever are the things we can't see, which is what makes it so difficult, right? But God is angels, the Holy Spirit, heaven. We can't see these things, but those are the things that are going to be eternal, the problem is because we can't see them, it's hard for us to always keep our attention on them, right? And the problem is just that. The problem is that in so many of our lives, including my own, it is so easy to get in a place where we only think and put our time and energy towards the things that we see. But those things don't last. Those things are not eternal. The things that are going to last are what we have to live our life for. That's why Jesus spent so much of his time talking about eternity. In fact, 13% of all of Jesus' teachings were on the subject of hell. Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven. One half of his parables had to do with judgment, had to do with hell, had to do with repentance. One of them is found in Luke 16, verse 19. Jesus said, there's a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who covered, who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham in the heavenly, at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. 
The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you were in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's house or home. For I have five brothers, and, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in the same place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham. But if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, look, if you won't even listen to Moses and the prophets. They won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Now, I want to make something really clear. This is not talking about if you have nice things, if you have good things, like you in trouble. You're going to hell. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about no matter if you're poor or rich, no matter if the situations and circumstances of your life have been relatively fair, or the situations and circumstances of your life have been horrible. If you don't understand that there is an eternity, if you don't get your heart right with the creator of that eternity, you're gonna be separated from him. Rich, poor, easy going, rough going life. There's a reality that you have to face and Jesus wanted us to know this one big reality. You were made to be loved. And you were created to last forever. And you have to understand the ramifications. One day your heart's going to stop. The stats are pretty clear on this. It's like really high. Like one out of one. A couple exceptions in the Bible, but still pretty 99.999 like strong percentages, this is going to happen to every single one of us at one point or another. And at the end, your body is going to stop. It's going to fail. But that's certainly not going to be the end for you. That is not the end. The Bible says that you and I as human beings, we're created in the image of God. And that means that God has put eternity in us. In fact, it says that in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has planted eternity in the human heart. You can see this throughout history, ancient civilizations, Native Americans, the Vikings, all these different people groups and cultures, even before they had access to the word, even before you know, the Bible was clearly communicated and translated, they all had this idea and concept that there was a God, there was an eternity, there was a heaven, there was a hell, there were these places that all of us at one point or another, we were gonna wind up even without knowing who God was, truly was, you can see that God has created us for this. You're gonna spend more time on the other side of this life than you are right now. The AD of your life is really extensive. The Bible says that this side is simply getting ready for what's on that side. 
This side is meant to prepare yourself and the people around you as much as possible for an eternal reality. That's what this is for. It's preparation. It's the warm-up lap of what really matters. But there's a lot of misconceptions out there about what happens after death. I want to go through some of these. First of all, there's the naturalists. These are people who don't believe you have a soul. You're just a body. And when you die, you just cease to exist. Uh, many people believe this, but it's not true. Uh, universalists. This is the belief that in the end, almost everybody, pretty much everybody ends up in heaven. Like heaven will, hell will be really sparse and heaven's going to just basically be for everyone. All roads lead to heaven. Also not true. And then there's reincarnation. This is a growing number, but this is basically where you have multiple successive lives. You live and die, return until you pay off all of your karmic debt. And you might come back though as a kangaroo or a sea sponge. And because you might come back as an animal, you can't kill anything. Auntie might come back as a cow. You can milk her, but don't kill her. You know, it's a tough thing, but this is what they believe. Then there's annihilationists. These are the people that believe that apart from God, you do go to hell but you, and you suffer for a while, but then you just cease to exist. You, be, you, you become dust. You get burned up and consumed by hell. But what they don't understand is hell is a lot like the burning bush. It continues to burn, but it is not consumed. And then there's the people who believe in purgatory, which, by the way, is not mentioned in the word of God anywhere. But this is where you kind of go to an in-between place it's not hell, but it's not heaven, and you stay there, but you have a chance to kind of pay your way into heaven. Or your family could be involved in this and help pay your way into heaven. But that's also not true. God has prepared two eternal places, heaven and hell, and they are very real. But unfortunately, the latest poll shows that only 58% of people believe in hell. That's scary. <laughs> But honestly, it may be a little bit because of some of the recent trends in churches where maybe it's just not even communicated about. Like the idea of repentance and the need of a Savior and those things are just not talked about. I heard one pastor ask once, is Jesus the only way to heaven? And he replied with, well, I'd, I'd never say that. And then he was asked, well, is heaven real or is hell real? And he said, well, I definitely would never say that on a Sunday. Just the nicest guy. Super sweet and dead wrong. Just way off. And the scary thing is, the word says not many of you should presume to be teachers because we who teach should be judged more strictly. I think, man, he's going to be held accountable. He's going to be held accountable because he's just wanting to keep everything PC and, and feeling good and safe. Look, I like to have fun in here. And I love to laugh. And I love for you to laugh because life in God is full of joy and peace. But we cannot put a Band-Aid on the realities of heaven and hell. I love you too much. Like I can't, I can't say that I love you and be a pastor and not and not make a clear picture of what we're really facing here. Hell is real. Jesus tells us that both places are prepared and heaven is prepared for us, me and you, but hell is prepared for Satan and the fallen angels. That's actually what hell is prepared for. 
It's actually not built for people, but a lot of people are going to be there. You ever been somewhere and you just felt completely out of place? Like every time I've ever gone clothes shopping with my wife? You know what I mean? Like, just, just awkward, just like, this just doesn't feel right at all. I remember one time we were in this store and Cody was shopping for clothes and she was back in the changing room. And, you know, and then this is really awkward because I'm like alone out there in a women's store. And, but I, I found this chair and I thought, oh, how nice of them. A husband hangout spot. And, and, because they know we're tired. We don't want to be there. And so I sat and, and I quickly realized that the chair was right in the middle of all the lingerie. So now there's a bunch of women shopping for lingerie and I'm just sitting there watching them. Hey, Pastor James, New Life Church, good to see you. Thankfully, none of y'all were there. Pastor James, what you doing? Cody's back there. Cody, say something. Awkward. But one of the reasons why hell is so horrible is because it's the most out of place feeling that you would ever have for eternity. Because it actually wasn't created for you. Uh, Satan doesn't rule it. Satan is in torment there in the same place. All of his demons, like think about that. Think about how evil Satan is. Think about how tormented he is in his own evilness. And then think about the place that was created to torment the tormentor. It's not a good place. Jesus said, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. If I choose to rebel against God, just like Satan did, then I choose to reject God and I choose to say I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to be my own God. I don't care what anyone else says. I'm, I'm going to do it my own way. And if I choose to rebel, just like Satan does, I, I go where Satan goes. There's a couple of things that you need to know about hell. First of all, hell is a place of torment forever. That is a reality. God says it's a furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like, I don't know what gnashing of teeth is. <laughs> like, it doesn't sound pleasant, though. Like, it sounds bad to me. Some might say, well, uh, yeah, but man, that's where all my friends will be. ACDC will be there. Hank Williams will be there. All my cats might as well join the party, right? Wrong. <laughs> that is a highly faulty, un uninformed view. It's total darkness. The kind of darkness that you can feel. It's utter seclusion. It's the most non-relational environment that you could ever be in. It says where the worm does not die and the fire does not quench or is not quenched. Now there's a lot of meaning in that because in, in heaven, if we have a glorified body. Whew. Some uh, Bible philosophers believe that because Jesus was 33 when he was crucified, that all of us, when we get to heaven, no matter how old we are now, that all of us will be 
in our glorified 33-year-old body, but look with like out any ability to like for calories to have any impact on us. The light and Krispy Kreme will be on for eternity, people. <laughs> like everything about your physical, spiritual, relational body, everything will be whole. It'll be under the glory of God. But there is an eternal body that exists in hell too. But it'll be the body completely full of flaws, completely full of the pain, completely full of everything you don't like about your current body, all of that for eternity. You will feel those things. Every ache, every pain that you have, you will feel those things. It's like, it's like the walking dead. It's like gross and putrid and never ends, just like the series. It just keeps going forever and ever. But the, one of the hardest parts, it's not even, I don't think it's even the physical part, it's, it's the other things. Your memory never ends either. And so every opportunity to respond to an altar call, every worship song, every prayer from your parents, every, every opportunity, you will live with the regret of not responding for eternity. The full understanding, like, man, I, there was that chance and there was that opportunity and there was this. The regret, the shame, and the condemnation of not responding will be on you, unlike it has ever been in your life for eternity. It says you will be tormented with fire and brimstone. And this is why when we do ministry around here, whether it's local through VBSs or the Arkansas Dream Center or we go foreign missions. Everything we do, we are battling for the eternal position of souls. And it is real. And so you know what? We're gonna go out and we're gonna play with kids and we're gonna feed them hot dogs and we're gonna go build relationships at retirement homes. We're gonna go and go to foreign countries and we're gonna feed them. But we can't do all those things and not give them the most important thing and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't have them have full bellies and empty spirits. But everything we do aims at that. It's not to fill this room, it's to fill heaven. Because we want it to be crowded there. And that's what I would say to anybody that says this church is too big. You're not going to like heaven. <laughs> it's going to be real crowded there in Jesus' name. And what we do is everything we can to make sure that is the case. Everything. Anything short of sin, we will do to reach a soul. Number two, you get to choose where you spend eternity. So this whole first part is kind of the truth element. Here comes some of the grace. It's your choice. The same kind of choice that God gave to Israel in the Old Testament. Even back in Deuteronomy, he told them, today I give you the choice between blessing and curse. You're blessed if you obey my commands, the commands of the Lord your God, or you receive a curse if you reject me and my commands. Let me give you an example. Let's just say, Let's suppose that you're a drug addict, strung out, living in a van down by the river. 
And one day I, I, I come by where you're living, but you're not in your van, you're out on the gutter. You're, you're on the curb and you're passed out and covered in your own puke, nasty, strung out, barely even breathing, disgusting, haven't bathed, haven't changed clothes. And let's suppose that I, I'm compelled by grace and love and mercy to just go and pick you up. And what I do is I take you, I take you to my home, to my house, and I bathe you and I get you cleaned up and I give you a new set of clothes and I feed you and I take care of you. But I, I don't just do that. I make you a part of my family. I adopt you. You now have this prestigious name of Bennett. You're welcome. And in fact, I don't just do all those things, but I pay off all your debts. Because remember, you spent all that you had on drugs. So you had all this debt. So I paid off all that debt. I didn't just stop there, but, but I gave you a, deb a debit card. You now have full access to the resources of the Bennett family, which means you can eat at Sonic from time to time. <laughs> and I did all this and I didn't say, you've got to earn it. You got to be good enough for it. You're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to go to church every Sunday for it. You're going to have to read your Bible every day for it. I just did it. But I said, but hey, there is one condition. In the Bennett household, no drugs. No drugs. We are drug free. So you can never touch the stuff again. If you turn me down, is that my fault? Is it my fault if you reject the household rule? No, it'd be your fault. Could you accuse me of being unloving? No, I've done everything I can to show love. I've done it all to get you out of the situation. Well, let's apply the same logic to heaven because from time to time, I'll hear people ask, how could a loving God send people to hell? God doesn't send anybody to hell. They choose to go to hell. That's the reality. It's a choice. It's like there's two doors to eternity. One goes to heaven and one goes to hell. And the one that goes to heaven says, look, if you come to Jesus and make him your Lord and Savior, that's the house rule. That's the house rule. He's already paid the ticket. He's already taken care of everything that needs to be taken care of. He's paid the price for admission into heaven. And all you have to do is accept it. Accept what he's done for you. That's all. But if you want to go to hell, <laughs> then you just do your own thing. You just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be my own God. I'm just... I'm not gonna let anybody tell me what to do. I wanna run my own life. Another option is you just don't decide. But indecision is the decision. You've, you've, 
by choosing not to pick, you've chosen what you've picked. It's kind of like taking a stance on, on extreme Islam, Islamic terrorism, like all this craziness that happened in Manchester. Like if you don't take a stance, you just took a stance. You just did. And it's the wrong stance. God has done so much to give you an opportunity to make this decision. If you choose not to choose the door that he has given you to heaven, you can't blame God. He's put so many roadblocks before you to keep you from going to hell. The Bible, his Holy Spirit, preachers, parents, prayers, music, angels. One of our mentors for New Life Church when he was a young evangelist in his early 20s, he, he was doing a revival. And one night he noticed this rock star walked in to the meeting and it was Elvis Presley. And he went through the whole message and he gave the invitation and, and, and Elvis Presley just sat at the back. And after everyone had left, Elvis Presley was the last one in there. Because if you don't know this, Elvis Presley was in conflict his entire life because he had a calling to write Christian music but he was addicted to the fame. So he was conflicted constantly. That's probably what led to his death. But this pastor went back and he, he was just talking to him about his life. And he took the word of God and he said it right at the entry to the room. He said, this is your line. You either choose to kneel before God or you step over him and do your own thing. But the choice is yours. And every single one of us have the same choice. Every single one of us have the same choice. God's already paid for it. He's made it so easy for you to accept it by faith. And you don't have to earn it. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to do religious things. There are things that please God's heart, but he wants you to do those things out of an overflow of relationship, not based on the compulsion of guilt and condemnation. The truth is when you've tasted and seen the love of God, you're compelled to do good things, but you don't do good things because you think it's gonna earn you something. You can't earn it. Jesus paid for it. Does God have the right to make his own house rules? Yep, it's his house. He's a good God though, because his rule is simple. It's easy. It's healing. In heaven, he has a right to say, the way to come to heaven is through my son. And he is the only way not by being good, not by earning it, not by working for it, just simply accepting the grace that's through his son, Jesus Christ, that he gave to you by dying on the cross. Jesus said this, if anyone acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will openly acknowledge that that, pers that person before my father, which is in heaven. But if anyone denies me here on earth, I will deny that person before my father in heaven. So that's why we do what we do every week.
want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I was reminded this week, I was sitting in VBS back when I was a children's pastor. Every week I would give an invitation for kids to accept Jesus, but I noticed like the same kids were raising their hand every week just because kids like to raise their hand. Like they get excited about that. So I started helping them understand. And, and I'd ask them this question first. I'd say, hey, if you've ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've ever made him the boss of your life, if you've ever done that, raise your hand. And then everybody who had accepted Jesus would raise their hand. I said, okay, now if you've already, if you just raised your hand, what I'm getting ready to say, I'm not saying this to you. But if you've never accepted Jesus, let me give you the ABCs to heaven. First, you have to admit that you need Jesus. You need God. And then you've got to believe in Jesus. And then all that he's done, believe that he died on the cross. And then you have to commit to follow him. He's got to be in control. You surrender your life to him as Lord. The ABCs. I don't know where you're at, but I want to give you a chance to admit, believe, and commit. If you're here today and you've never done that before, maybe you did at one point, but you need to recommit and get your life back on track. I want to give you a chance to confess that. And not before everybody here. We could do it that way, and, and honestly, it would be fine. But I'm not trying to embarrass you. But I am trying to give you an opportunity to confess you need him. If that's you, nobody look around, but between me, you, and God, I want you to look up at me and raise your hand right now if that's you. You need Jesus. Thank you. As soon as I see you, put your hand down. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anybody else? I need Jesus. I need to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Yes, ma'am. There at the back. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Got it. Yes, got it, buddy. Anybody else? Got it. Yes, sir. Thanks, man. God's going to honor that. Take some boldness to do this, I know. But we're talking about eternity, so it's the right time to be bold. Anybody else? Got it. Thanks, man. Anybody else? Okay. That's what I want us to do. I want us to all just repeat this prayer together. What we have here is we have some, a few folks, I think maybe 10 or 11 people that they're either rededicating their life or this is the first time in their life they're gonna experience the forgiveness of their sins, the grace, the freedom that comes with knowing who Jesus is and surrendering their life to him. And that's a big decision. And I love for them to be able to just pray this prayer with some boldness. And you can help them by praying it boldly too. So repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me, for my sin. And I ask for your forgiveness. I confess that I'm a sinner. 
I need you to be my savior. But I also commit that I'm gonna live for you. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to have control of my life. Help me to understand your plan and purpose. Help me to grow in an understanding of your love. Help me to walk in the freedom that is in you. And help me to share that love and freedom with others. Father God, I thank you for every person that just said that prayer for the first time. God, I thank you that you've brought them here to this church family. I pray that you would help us by your grace, by your word, and by the leading of your spirit to to support them, encourage them, love them, and get them connected and to disciple them, God, into becoming the fully devoted followers you've called them to be. God, I thank you that you give us an opportunity every week to see this happen in people's lives. But God, it doesn't need to just happen here. I pray that you would embolden us. I pray, God, that in all of our spheres of influence, whatever realm of life and season of life that we may be in, that we would see the realities of eternity and it would motivate us and drive us and embolden us to speak of our own testimony of what you've done in our lives. That's all we've got to give, God. Just if we shared the story of what you did in our lives, God, it would compel others to want the same. God, help us to be a church that sees that every day. Help us to be a people that see that reality every day and live for eternity. Live for eternity. Thank you, God, for helping us to do that. God, we give you all the glory and all the praise for the lives that have already been changed. And we wait in expectation for the many more that are gonna be changed. We give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. If you're thankful for God's word, let's give him a hand this morning. We had quite a few people raising their hands. Come on, praise him this morning, he's worthy.